and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Challenges That Change Us. Just a question. How many of you actually acted on last week's introduction that was to reach out to your local fitness business and book yourself in for spring? If your thought was, yes, I should do that and you haven't done it, I want you to press pause now and call them or if it's 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning, perhaps it's logging a note for yourself as an action item to do today. Don't wait another moment for this, guys. Let's get everyone in our community fit healthy, well, we're doing the resilience course, which is working on our minds and our bodies. You're going to get fit. Perhaps we'll bring a dietitian on and talk about nutrition. But today, today I am so incredibly excited to introduce you to one of my treasured champions from university, Cole Seckham. He openly discusses his journey of being diagnosed with a brain tumor and coping with the loss of his father. For those of you familiar with Cole, you'll know that he isn't one to readily display emotions. That is why I'm so immensely proud of him joining us and engaging in such an authentic and unfiltered dialogue. This conversation is full with valuable insights. Cole discusses the loss of his father and how it had such a profound impact on him, even more so than his cancer diagnosis. Balancing his roles as a father, a husband, a lawyer, a business owner, this episode offers a wealth of engaging content that I'm certain you'll relish. I'd also like to shout out to all of our uni mates. It is quite amazing that the college days were such a short chapter in our lives, but we have so many lifelong memories, experiences, and friends. Let me introduce you to this champion, Cole Seckham. Welcome, Cole, to Challenges That Change Us. Oh, my God, I'm so excited to have you on here today. Hey, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm excited too. It's been a long time, so, uh, yeah. It has been so long for the listeners. Cole and I actually went to uni together and we haven't seen each other. What did we work out? It was like 17 years. It's going to give our, our Yeah, age. we rounded up about 20, <laughs> didn't we, which makes it feel very old. <laughs> So, Cole, I really do love to start every episode with a little get to know you question so that I can get to know little bits about you, but also so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. What animal would you use to describe you and what is it about that animal? I want to be a sea creature. I love the ocean. So uh, I had to narrow it down to, to be a sea creature. I thought about maybe an orca because they cruise through the water and they're quite big and powerful, but now I'm not as aggressive as an orca, so I think... Aren't they the most aggressive animal in the ocean? <laughs> well, up there with sharks, so that definitely uh, swerved me away from those. <laughs> but uh, And I end up thinking that I'm somewhat like a sea turtle. <laughs> hang on, hang on, can we just pause? <laughs> uh, uh, we're talking about killer whale, right? That's what an orca is. Is that the same thing? That's what an orca is, yes, exactly. To a sea turtle? Yes, yeah. Map me through how you got from one to the other. They both... Go through the ocean. They remind me of, I used to like love snorkeling and, and spearfishing and things like that. And then just floating through the ocean is a really something that I really relate to. So I figured that, that orcas and whales do that. And then, as I said, orcas are a bit aggressive, which doesn't really suit my personality. But then turtles, well, they do all day. It's just cruise through the water. They're very wise. They've got that tough shell. They're not aggressive and they must live a pretty cruisy kind of lifestyle. Live for a hundred years. I think we're going to see that come out because that's definitely cruisy is a word I'd use to describe you. And I think we're actually probably going to hear that a lot throughout this interview, particularly when we're talking about some of the topics we're going to be talking about. It'll be interesting to see. We can probably reflect at the end of the session whether we still think you're a sea turtle or, or you're more of a uh, killer whale. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably yeah, judge that better than I can by the end of this. Uh, we shall see. And Cole, you're overseas at the moment. You're in the UK. So this is an unusual time to be doing the podcast. Whereabouts are you? Well, I mean, Horsham in West Sussex in England. Yeah. So it's actually a nice part of the world as far as the Northern Hemisphere goes. And not yeah. quite the same as 
Australian home. But at the moment, we're in the middle of summer and we're expecting 28 degrees a day and it's 8 o'clock in the morning and the sun's out. So it is somewhat homely and comforting. Minus four here today, just so we're clear on like the difference between our two seasons. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, I've got the cards up today, I think. And what are you doing over there in England at the moment? Like what, what's your career and what does it look like for you over there? I'm a lawyer at the moment. More recently, people ask me what I do. I tell them I work in software because we recently started a software company and I'm always saying you're a lawyer can be... I think a little bit pretentious doesn't necessarily suit my personality. So I do own a law firm. We've had that for six years now, six or seven years. And we started a software company about a year or two ago. So keep you very busy. Which we're definitely going to have a chat about at the end of the podcast because I really want to hear about that and talk a little more around that software company. But maybe the best place to start for us in this conversation is going back to the very beginning when you first found out about your brain tumour. What made you think that something was going on? It was a bizarre experience that I didn't think too much about. As I just said, I, I do work in law. And I was having a beer here in my home, actually, and I lost the ability to speak just for a moment, maybe 10, 20 seconds. I didn't think much of it. I didn't tell anybody. And then it repeated itself a few times over the next few weeks until I eventually told my wife that something weird's happening. Every now and then I lose the ability to talk. She obviously went, what? Did you kind of just think, what's happening? Or did you... Did you get a real fright? No, I put it down to stress, but even though I knew that I don't stress, I was probably more stressed than my normal levels, but I'm not a very stressy person. So I just brushed it off. I didn't think that, you know, I knew it wasn't related to my heart. I wasn't having a heart attack. I was 34 at the time. You know, you still think you're invincible as a 34-year-old male. So no, I kind of just dismissed and thought, that's weird. I must be stressed and moved on. Mm. Until it got to the point where I called my wife again. It happened at work. I was talking to one of the partners at work and I on the phone, it went on for more than 30 seconds. So I sort of muttered a noise that I could and just hung up on it. And then I, it went away after about a minute. I called my wife and said, no, something's more than off here. That was a long time and it was really bizarre. Nothing I could do would allow me to sort of move my tongue or, or talk. And, and she flipped out. She said, right, we're going straight to a and I'd seen the, I'd called the GP and I'd seen the GP before that. And he said, yeah, it's stressed. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, come back. He said, go to A&E or something if it happens again because from what I can do, it just seems nothing I can diagnose. So, yeah, we went to A&E. I was obviously fine. I don't think they necessarily believed me <laughs> because I was perfectly fine. I was talking fine. Well, a fit young male, right? Like you would have been quite fit then as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah like I still am, obviously. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I meant um, you were as fit as you are now. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, and almost luckily we were about to go. I'd been there maybe an hour or so. And we were about to go, and I was like, my mouth, it's happening again. And then they come around, they called a few other people around, and I couldn't talk, and, they, and then they got really took it a little bit more seriously. Then it went away. So after about a minute or two, it came back as went to normal. And they said, look, we're just going to go and put you into a CT scan. And then, okay, cool, let's go and have a CT scan. And we sat around waiting for the results, and when they came back, they were doing the – we found a little something on your brain, and they, the gap between their fingers wasn't that little – uh, my wife was saying, kept saying, how big is it? And they said, well, we don't know for sure yet. <laughs> and it ended up being about the size of a plum. Apparently it had been there for nearly 10 years. It calcified around the edges because um, it had been growing so slowly for so long. In your brain, the size of a plum in your brain for 10 years. Yes. Yeah, I had some quite good MRI images that show the extent of the size of it. Quite unbelievable, really. Yeah, yeah so probably you know, all through uni it could have been starting to grow and all that time. No impact at all on me, obviously. And I think because it grew so slowly, the surgeon was really good. He said it's probably just slowly pushing it away. So it wasn't having an impact. It wasn't like an impact or anything like that. So it's because it grew so slowly, you weren't having any impacts until it got to a point where it was pushing it against probably the skull and then it had nowhere else to go, even though it was still very slowly. That's the, what gave me the symptoms because the pressure slowly built up. It's the size that blows my mind. What was your initial reaction and what was your partner's initial reaction to that? I think they were worlds apart. Mine was more like, Whoa, look at the size of that. That's um, <laughs> kind of cool that I can still function and, and it's there. And my, I think, I don't remember my wife's face, but jaw dropped. She worked in healthcare. She's done a lot of time in palliative care and things like that. And I think she went from zero to worst case scenario. Yeah. So mine was a little bit thinking they dealt with these kinds of stuff before. So there was a moment of, or a couple of weeks of waiting to find what was going to happen. 
we found out pretty quickly that they weren't going to do a biopsy. They were just going to take it out. By the time I met the surgeon, he was one of those guys that he just knew he knew what he was doing. He had confidence. He had experience. And he spoke really well. He said, this is not my first brain surgery. He said, I'm, I'm going to take it out and everything should be fine. And I believe him. I said, perfect. Thanks, mate. Crack on with it. And five weeks later, it was out. I remember the first time you told me that story and you, you said it just like that. It makes me stop and think, literally, for you, that's what it was like, right? Five weeks later, they took it out and then you just kept going on with life. Yes. And since we spoke a few weeks ago, I've been reflecting on that, whether actually how it changed my life. And I find that it made me realise that, and this sounds ridiculous, but I am still invincible in a way because I had the attitude that nothing ever goes wrong with me and always trying to land on my feet. And I had the diagnosis and I thought, well, surely they'll take it out. The doctor said, yeah, we'll take it out. And they did take it out. And I carried on with life. And I look back and think, I think it's that attitude that stopped me getting stressed. I wasn't necessarily worried about it because the doctor said it'd be fine. I think the odds I was given, there was a 10% chance that I might not be able to talk properly again because that was where the area in the brain where it was, obviously, because I couldn't talk. So we chatted through the fact that what if I can't talk? And the worst case scenario was I could still start the law firm. I could still do that. I just probably wouldn't be as much client facing and there would be inconvenience around not being able to talk properly. But 10% chance wasn't worth worrying about. I'd cross that bridge if we needed to. Is that the legal side and the weighing up risks on a daily basis? Because 10% to me sounds like a lot. Like 10%, if someone said to me, there's a 10% chance after tomorrow you're not going to be able to talk, I, I think I'd be stressed. I don't think it's what to do with the legal side. I think it's more to do with perhaps my upbringing. We had a very simple upbringing and everything was always easy. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of money as kids and all that kind of stuff. We used to play in trees for fun, all that kind of stuff. But everything we did was simple. We never had any major incidents in our life or bad, sad events. So I was a very optimistic oh. and positive person. So for me, 90% was close to 100. Yeah. Yeah, so I just looked at it in that way. What a beautiful way to look at life though. It frustrates the hell out of my wife. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> how is everyone else around you? Because here you are being like rainbows and unicorns about something that everyone else is probably seeing that everything could go wrong. Yeah, and as I said, my wife was the exact opposite. She went from zero to the worst case scenario. She was thinking about what are we going to do with the kids? Like, you know, what if you don't survive? All that mm. kind of stuff. And she was going through all that scenario. Her stress levels were through the roof. And for those people, mainly my wife, I think the kids were quite young. Yeah, it, it had a huge adverse effect on her health, yeah. mental health for quite some time. And how did you navigate that? You know, how did you guys navigate that difference of perspective about the same thing that potentially could have a devastating effect where one of you sees it as 90% full and one's going, well, can we just look at all everything here? I think, again, that probably frustrated my wife and I was probably a little bit selfish about it in the fact that it was my brain tumour, It was, but I was the one that had to deal with it. And generally the way that I always dealt with things was just to stay positive and think it's going to be fine. So I couldn't let her change the way that I was thinking because it was kind of a coping mechanism for me in yeah. hindsight. But, you know, we chatted through the fact that we had life insurance, we had not a huge mortgage and, you know, it would be okay. And I was, if I had didn't make the surgery or something bizarre like that, I believe that it would have been tough on my wife, but financially and everything else, they would have been okay. Obviously taking the, the husband and dad away was not going to be okay. But yeah. It would have been what it would have been and they would have been able to get through it, which is what I told myself. And my wife obviously didn't think of it as simple as that. Well, very few people would, you know, and that's what I was so curious about was like how does that come about? But it's what you're saying is that's just the way you walk through life. Like that's an attitude you've adopted your whole life. Yes. Is that fair to say? I think it is fair to say, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it really served you here. Yes, it did. And I can see looking from the outside in how it would have affected other people differently. And I count it as a bit of a blessing that I could take that attitude. And I think it did mm. rub off on my wife. And I think if I was stressing, it would have enhanced my wife's stress mm. as well, would have made that worse. So she did it in her way. She was able to stress and, and worry, et cetera. But I wasn't encouraging that or feeding that stress for her to make it any worse or duplicate it or things like that. So. And I know like for Flinny and I, when we go through stuff, we drop at different stages. So I always drop at the very beginning. Like the minute the information comes through, 
I process everything in that moment, worst case scenario, best case scenario, and every other case in between, which drives everyone around me nuts because they're like, we just got the first bit of information. But then what happens for me is I'm able to then man up and really focus in on getting the job done or whatever needs to happen for the rest of the process, right? So I drop right at the beginning and then I'm like on, whereas my husband, he drops after. And so I'm always like, what? But we're done. Like we're through <laughs> it. Like I, it's really hard for me to comprehend why now he's dropping and he finds it really hard to comprehend why at the start I'm like gone to, you know, the worst case yes. scenario. And he's like, we have no information to suggest at this point in time, that's where we're going. Yes. It either helps you bounce off each other or it prevents you yes. doing things together. So it can go either way there. Yeah. Yeah. And as I just suggested, I would be very optimistic and I will always consider the worst case scenario, but very quickly dismiss it until that is, we're told that's going to be the case. My approach is let's not worry about it. Don't fret over something that may not be the case, which can be easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. And what about what were the hard moments for you through that whole period? Was there any moments that you felt yourself drop? Thinking about the kids and that relationship and I never thought about not making surgery really. Death wasn't really on, on the table. It wasn't really suggested by any of the surgeons, so that was quite good. Even though they obviously wouldn't rule it out. But not being able to communicate with the kids probably upset me the most. Well, my wife as well, but she's obviously a lot more mature than the kids and the kids are around five and six at the time. So not being able to play with them in the communicative way as a normal human made me realise that would be the biggest impact on my life if I wasn't able to speak properly. Yeah, and I can totally resonate with that. That's always what my tears are over every time. It's like, what impact is this going to have on the children? Yes, yeah, Mm. that's right. And we have a load of fun and all that kind of stuff and you can just see the easy buzz being taken out if you weren't able to communicate in that fun, simple way. So. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, the kids were great. My wife was very much getting the kids involved and we told the kids everything and we played it down a lot. But, you know, when I had to go for a few days in the hospital for the surgery, they went out and bought me Superman pyjamas to wear in the surgery. So they were quite involved. Every time they were doing that and the kids were being very supportive in their own way, it was those that little realisation that, well, if I do lose the ability to speak, then yeah. um, it's the kids that are going to be affected the most. How old were your kids at the time? They must have been five and seven. So you're old enough to know something's going on, but perhaps not old enough to comprehend the long-term implications of what could go wrong. Yes. Yeah, very much I think so. Mm. And Cole, you mentioned before, and we sort of brushed over it, was that you can both have very different ways of dealing and ways of coping. How did you guys navigate that? What was helpful? I think we both immediately understood that we dealt with things like this in different ways. We hadn't had any, obviously, this severe in our lives, but my wife understood quite early that the way that I was going to deal with this, and I kind of put a bit of a shell up around myself to allow myself to do what I wanted to do. And even though that was tough on her and very different to the way that she was dealing with it, she allowed me to do it. She took all the pressure away from me. She dealt with the kids. She gave me the space that I needed. She was the one that arranged my parents to come over from Australia and just allowed me to do what I needed to do, took everything from the simple things like washing to doing the washing up so I didn't have to, um, to taking the kids out. So I, when I wanted to suggest that I want to have some time to myself or absolutely sort of without physically holding my hand, held my hand and, and allowed me to guide myself through the way that I thought I needed to do it. And even though she, yeah, she just took all the outside stuff that could have you know, created stress or gave me a little bit of influence in the way that I didn't want to go. She removed all that from the path I was trying to take to deal with what I was going through, which you just can't underestimate how hard that must have been for her. Yeah. And how incredible considering she had so much worry going on in her head. Like that's just shows so much strength, doesn't it? To be able to like really remove all that external environment to give you the best possible healing path. Yeah, absolutely. And I was at a time when she was coping with herself obviously in a way that was probably harder to handle with them the way I was doing I was quite selfish in my approach whereas she wasn't allowed to be selfish she wasn't allowed to do what she wanted to do because she had to take a step back and let me do it yeah and to do that while she was going through all that she was going through and worrying about and also Mm. sorting out the things talking about critical we had critical illness all those little things that I didn't even give a thought Mm. just got on and did and and I do expect and I know her well enough that some of that would have been Coping mechanism for her to do with the admin and sort that out and do all that kind of stuff would have been keeping her busy and distracted, but it just cannot have been easy. Mm. Yeah. 
I think I've said this also before on this podcast that we don't give enough credit to the carers. Like, you know, when you're going through it, you're in a very different mindset. And when I say going through it, I mean everyone that's going through their own adversity, whether that be the brain tumor, whether it be my stroke, whether it be someone that's going through grief around someone that they've lost. There's kind of different experiences out there. And to be able to respect how other people are doing it at a time when you're feeling so low is incredible. Yes. Yeah. She was able to do that a lot more than I was able to do it. I've used the word selfish a few times. And, you know, I think I had to be selfish, but I was selfish and I probably could have tried to be less selfish. But at what cost? You know, like it's kind of this, like there's not a right answer, right? It's had you perhaps let a little bit of that vulnerability in and let your wall down a little bit, it could have been to your detriment. You might not have had the recovery you had. It's really hard to know. Yeah, no, that's right. And then again, it goes back to the kudos I need to give to my wife to um, the fact that she wore all that allowed me to do what I need to do and, and she took the brunt of it, yeah, all for the greater good for mm-hmm. me and the kids. Cole, the thing that really fascinated me when we first spoke was when we were talking about, like I was just jaw-dropped, right, when we were talking about the brain tumour and I wanted to ask all these questions. You came in and you said, I was actually, that's not the challenge. Like that's something that happened but really for me the challenge was when I lost my dad and then we had a tiny bit of a conversation around it. I was like, actually, this is what we need to bring on the podcast because when you say brain tumour the size of a plum, in your head as a dad and a husband, I think, I don't want to speak for the audience, but I'm sure everyone's having the same reaction as me. Like, what? Like, we just see it flash before our eyes. But really, for you, when I ask you what your challenge was, it's really about losing your dad. Yes, I lost my dad and he died on a motorcycle accident. So unexpectedly, we the point there. And that made me realise that life is short. Mm. Whereas the brain tumour was just a matter of the doctor said he'd take it out. It was a formality and I'd keep cracking on with life. I never thought that didn't really bring death into the scope. But when I lost my dad, I'd planned to move back to Australia and he's unreal with kids. And one of the things I you know, missed the most is my dad having been a grandfather to my kids. Mm. When I lost him unexpectedly, that whole chapter of my life that I was looking forward to and being able to you know, go back to Australia and, and spend more time with dad when, as they retire and as, as we move away, that was taken away from me and that that made me feel vulnerable. That made me feel that life was short. Yeah. And you could, could just go at any time. And that made me more aggressive in the way that I now approach business, the way that I spend money, the way that I do things. I think let's not hold back. Let's let's get amongst it and have some fun and, and do things the very best that we can and, and crack on with life, take those risks. That made me realise life is short. Yeah, and I can see it on your face as we're talking. Like you just, you know, it's hard. Yeah, and it's the brain tumour doesn't bring back any emotion at all. It's yeah. me a little part of my life, but uh, yeah, my dad upsets me a lot. Yeah. So. What was your dad's name? Dave, David. And how long ago was it that Dave passed away? Maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. And what was that like for you, like those months and the weeks, the months, the years following that? It was quite surreal. When my mum called me, I almost didn't believe her. I obviously knew she wasn't lying. It was very surreal. And then things like the funeral were hard. And then there'd be times when you'd forget about it and carry on. And then little things. You see a TV show with a father and son or something on it, and um, it just brings you back. And then, yeah, I just think any kind of thought, they're always positive thoughts, but that realises what you missed out on. You could have another 20, 30 years or so for, with the kids mainly as well. And there's a real hole there. There's a real thing that we have missed out on something. And I can hear for you that grief is really around like the future of what's not going to be. Is that right? Yeah. Like as in, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, I used to work in wheels and probate and I know everybody died. It's, it's not the death that upset me. It's the missing out on error of life that I was really looking forward to for myself and for my kids. Mm. And luckily my kids, they must have been maybe eight and ten. So they knew my dad quite well. You know, they just adored him. He was such a fun guy. We kids loved kids, but they never got to know him to his full extent. Yeah. 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 Which, been which is the sad that. part. Yes. Yeah. But that goes back to what we're talking about. That, for me, has had a much more challenging and change on the way that I look at life and arranging it. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the change on life. You mentioned it. I think you used the word risk. I think how I heard it was you now just step into the space of saying yes to stuff and doing stuff and doing what you want to do and supposed to like maybe sitting back and waiting on it thinking there'll be a time in the future is that right yeah it is it is and it's it's 
quite a funny comment to make, but my dad was always tight with money. We never had a lot of money. He was so tight with money that it makes me laugh looking back on it. But now, like starting the software company was about a year after dad passed away. And it was a no-brainer. You know, if we fail and we lose loads of money, we're still going to have a crack at it. It's those kinds of risks and the aggression to take that path of life that I'm more, let's say, reckless about life short. So I don't want to save a penny every week and try and have a good pension pot. It's like, let's do more. Let's try and build an empire. Let's try and, you know, make some real change for us, for our kids, for the world. Yeah, take those risks and not win them all, but you've got to try to try to get there and have some fun while you do it, really, before it's too late. Yeah, because in a snap second like you experienced, everything changes. Your whole world changes, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You use the word aggressive and reckless and they're interesting words. It sounds like you're almost like even beyond spontaneous if that's a, if that exists, <laughs> like a level beyond that. Or is there, are you still strategic about how you do things or is it really just like blow it, let's go? No, it's not like that. Reckless can be considered the opposite of conservative. Yeah. So I'm no longer conservative with life and opportunities. And were you before? Yes. I think as I said, and the reason I mentioned my dad being tight with money because that's rubbed off on me. But nowadays we earn it, let's spend it. Let's not just keep it in the bank in case we want to buy a bigger house or in case something goes wrong. Let's, um, you know, we always want to keep some kind of safety money. But nowadays it's let's go on more holidays. Let's let's invest yeah. in a new business. Let's do that. We don't need to save it for a rainy day because it might rain after you die. Yeah. yeah. And we're very strategic in business and all that kind of stuff, but I will spend more time harder and faster running through the scenarios to get to the strategy to then right now we can implement it. So Yes. What I'm hearing for you is it changed your money mindset. So like that's why those words are so important because before you were much more conservative. Yes. So you say that to me and I am reckless by nature. So I was like, re- like well, how reckless are we talking here? Because it's from my perspective and my lens. But what I heard for you say was that it's different. That's a fundamental change that you've seen as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as I said, it's about when well, before dad passed, I think the attitude was let's be safe, let's make sure we're not overstretching ourselves, let's make sure that we do things in a more conservative way. But, yeah, after that, I think, whoa, hang on, you can be conservative for the next 20 years and then you'd be dad's age and, and or, you know, you, you could get struck by lightning tomorrow. It's it bring that reality check back in that no point, you can't take it to the grave. You know, the only thing you can take to the grave is memories, they say. So let's go and do it. Yeah, and again, like very similar, we just put in a pool at our place for that very reason because I said we had this investment pouch sitting over there for a rainy day, right? Literally, yeah. that was our language. Like we've got this huge, like when I say huge, small investment portfolio. <laughs> Again, perspective. Someone else's yeah. huge will be like millions. I'm not talking about that. So this yeah. tiny little investment portfolio that we've been holding on to for, I want to say 10 to 12 years. Yeah. And I said to my husband, what for? Yeah. Like when is the rainy day? It's now. It's now. Our kids are home. Our eldest may only have five more Christmases. Like what, how do we want to spend that time? And, you know, I think what you're saying is definitely something I've experienced. It's like if we know it's going to be cut short potentially, what would we be doing differently now? And it's a very different answer, don't you think, from when you were living thinking that you were invincible, planning for the long term. It's a very different kind of outlook and it affects how we make decisions. Yeah, without a doubt. I actually used the word earlier, didn't I? Invincible about even yeah. when I had the brain tumor, and I just it just they just did it, and I got over and carried on, and I still thought at that point I was invincible. I always land on my feet. It's fine, but then that one reality check that it can be taken away from you quite quickly at a young age, and I think it's a good lesson. Well, not a lesson to learn because we all know it, but it's a good shifting mindset to have earlier rather than later. So mm-hmm. you can change that mindset to be more enjoyable and, and take life in that more positive and fun way. Out of curiosity, because what we're talking about here are a couple of big core beliefs, you know, like you had a core belief around money growing up to be conservative and there's reasons why and it's what you had experienced and you'd kind of ingrain that in your life and same as that invincible, like it's a core belief. It's like I'm invincible, things are going to, we're going to be fine. And they flipped. Did it happen overnight? Did you notice it was over months or do you just reflect back now and go, whoa, before it was like this and now it's like this? No, I think it was quite instant mm. i think when dad passed there was obviously a, a time of grief which you know i dealt with my own way but as soon as that little fog started to lift of that grieving period it was almost instant it's like i use the word i think aggressive came to my head again let's go and get it let's um yeah. let's change that mindset completely and let's let's go and get it let's go on that holiday let's start this new business let's invest in this yeah it was very much instant it's not quite often a motivator for me now when i'm a little bit stressed or thinking about what to do next 
I will, the thought of dad and, and that change of mindset makes me think it always pushes me towards, don't be necessarily too reckless, but go and have a crack at it. Um, yeah. If the odds are there. I know we spoke a lot about your wife in the beginning and being on a different page. Was that the same here or did, was she the same as well? It's like, yep, let's go. Was there a change for her as well? She obviously noticed the change in me. We always have to talk about money and holidays together, obviously. She obviously didn't have the same impact of losing my dad as it wasn't her dad expectedly, but I think she definitely would have noticed me. You know, I go back to again. I probably got a bit more selfish, whereas like, no, we are going to go on this holiday. We don't need mm. to keep the, the safety bank there. We're going to do it. So she would have noticed and felt that. But I haven't got completely rid of the conservative element of us. We're still quite you know, sensible at looking at what we buy and things uh, in a lot of ways. But yeah, to answer your question, I think that she definitely would have noticed. More she noticed it in you. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, the conversation we had took a slightly different approach from my input in those conversations. We've spoken about what you've kind of noticed from your mindset. What about like when you reflect back through the grief period, are there things that you have taken away from that? Other things or things that you found helpful perhaps through that period? Like you said, we all experience grief throughout our life, but we're kind of not prepared for it, right? Yeah. Like no one no one prepares us and then it hits us, it comes knocking on our doorstep and we're like, what is this? Yes. Like how long is it going to last? And is this going to feel like this forever? It's really hard. I mean, we're smiling and talking about it, but it's a really, it's a really lonely road. Yeah, it is. My wife will test the fact that I'm quite emotionless, but I think losing dad has made me a lot more emotional. So that I've noticed that change a lot. In what way? It's more, I guess it's where the memories or something will trigger a memory of dad. I will get the, you know, tears swelling in my eyes. Whereas I don't think I'd even thought about crying or anything for 20 years, maybe longer mm. before that. But now if something sad happens, I have more feeling. I almost went from having zero feeling to um, now that I can feel if it's a TV show or something and there's something sad, mm. I feel it more, which is interesting because I was quite emotionless in hindsight looking back at that beforehand yeah and you're quite emotional through this podcast when we're talking about your dad how has that been for you all of a sudden feeling because that can be scary and confronting was it like all of a sudden now these feelings are coming up and even when you're watching tv is that kind of confronting or it's just it just is what it is i like it i like the fact that it always whenever i'm upset the only time i get upset even like this is talking and thinking about my dad so that's a good thing it brings that to the surface which you know, as a, as a guy, you still kind of think it's embarrassing to cry and all that kind of stuff when you try and, try and hide it. Like I wouldn't want even my wife, but watching something there, there's a dad element of sadness on a TV show. I try not to let her see the tears sort of roll down my cheek, which I don't know why. It's just, you know, that chauvinistic man approach. But actually, I like it. I think, I think it's brilliant. It reminds me of dad. And it's the only really, not the only way, but that's one of the most common and frequent ways that those memories come back out and those good mm-hmm. feelings, even though they end up in, sad tears that good feelings because it's the reason why I'm upset is because I miss my dad. When I'm at work and when I'm doing whatever else I'm doing, I don't miss him because I'm not thinking about him necessarily. Yeah. You know, so it's, I like when that emotion comes in. I can totally understand that listening to you. It's his memories, really. Each tear is a memory in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's that little heartstring that's being pulled and not many people can, especially with me, can pull that heartstring. Yeah. And every thought of my dad pulls that heartstring, which is warming, really nice. And I'm curious, Cole, one question I haven't asked you in this podcast is where do you get that attitude of just crack on with life from? I'd like to think I was born with it, but it doesn't work that way. It has to be has to be my mum. My dad was you know, quite a, a fun guy, but mum was always being the rock and the safety house that I needed. She um, she actually had cancer when she was when I was at uni and hasn't been able to taste or smell since. But you know, she, she's perfectly fine and she never dwelt on it in a bit. In hindsight, talking about it now, very similar to the approach that I took and that quite resonates with me now that the I've kind of mirrored exactly what she's done in the way that I dealt with the my brain tumor, the way she dealt with her cancer. But even before that, she was rock. She was the safety net that I always had. And yeah, I think that really, really yeah, resonates now. That runs deep in you. I mean, I'm not sure if that's how you describe yourself, but I certainly do remember. I think that you're really solid and that you know, when you think about it, where it comes from, that ability to be anchored on the ground and then that crack on, like get on with life, just keep going. It's good for us to reflect and think about where that's come from. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree. And, and 
the thoughts coming into my head now is my dad quite often changed jobs, didn't have jobs and all that kind of stuff, always had fun and, and was always doing that. But my mum was always in a good job and in a solid job and always making sure that we were she was a much more sensible one. And as a kid, I probably had more fun events with my father. It was mum that was always there, making sure the ship was going in the right direction for all of us, dad and, and my sister and I. And that is a grounding that you just can't get if you don't have that stableness. So yeah, I have definitely have my mum to thank for that. Cole, it's been a bit of a thread throughout this whole episode around your ability to be able to crack on with life. I guess there's a part of me that's wondering whether there are other things that you do to help you crack on with life. Like, is there anything that you do that's physical or do you have strategies that you like think I'm going to do this? Like say, for example, you say to yourself, I need to crack on. What do you do next? How do you crack on? The approach that I take with any kind of decision now, a lot of most of the time it's around business is to try and lay it all out on the table and then repackage it back up in a way that I can understand it. And obviously that's all done inside your head with two young kids at home and, and busy at work. Most days, if not every day, I take the dogs for a walk. Can be 20 minutes, can be an hour and a half, depending on weather in the UK. But that time is what I use. I don't listen to music most of the time. I forcefully think through things. I run through stuff in my head. I'll lay it all out. I will drift in and out of that, obviously that process. And you know, and even in those times, my dad's often like the thoughts and the changes. I'll reflect on how I have changed and what I want to do and where I want to get to, you know, before your time's up. And that process to me is an escape. I find it relaxing. I find it a way to find clarity. I don't often, I quite often don't come back with the answer, but I'll always have ruled it out. I will always have restructured it in a more productive way to start thinking about whatever is the challenge that I have that I need to get through. And it might take two weeks of those walks and you know, I quite often go to the skate park or something and then put the headphones in and zone out for a, for an hour or two while I'm you know, absolutely doing nothing that I can think about. But those little escapes away from work and away from home are the times when my brain reconnects and allows me to process all those thoughts in, in a way that you can't do when you're with other people or you're you know, involved in other activities. So I think that's probably, to me, the one outlet I have that, is almost essential to hidden clarity. Mm. And I love when you said you don't always get the answer because I think sometimes that's a misconception in business is that the leaders and the CEOs and the people that make big decisions just think about it and create the answer. But more often than not, there isn't an answer. It's like I've just moved a little bit along the path, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And what I've learned with business and using that same process is sometimes I would go for a walk, come back and think, yeah, I've got the answer. And I'd go back to the other partners or the business and say, right, I think this is what we should do. And then I'd go for a walk the next day and I've changed my mind. I've rethought about it some more. So now that I take a much longer process, I will think, right, that's a possibility. And then I'll go for more walks. And then I'll get to the point where I've done enough walking and, and strategizing through my head that I've ruled out enough and I've narrowed it down to a few. And then I can bring those few very clear options. It might not be a single answer, but I've got very clear options that I've thought through in a lot of detail, maybe over hours, maybe over weeks. And that process allows me to slow everything down, break it all down and have something that we can then work with. And it may not be the answer. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's something right. I've narrowed it down. I've done all the hard work. Let's now go through these last few possibilities and we can narrow it down together. And when you bring someone else in, they might just have what you're looking for, that one piece. Like you've done the grunt work of like ruling stuff out and thinking about what we do know we can move away from this scenario. Now let's all put our heads together. Yeah, very much so. And it's a really efficient way to have make a decision when, and it's not always me that does that, that brings something to the table. But the fact that I can eliminate and understand and, and narrow this thing down to something that's really quite small and eliminate all the rest, giving it to the other people to discuss a very efficient conversation and we can then they, it's usually then they come up with the final idea that I actually hadn't thought of specifically but the grunt work they just jump in with their new vision and, and clear mind and said let's do it that way and everyone instantly goes yeah that's perfect mm. and while we've got you on the topic of business I just want to take advantage of this conversation because <laughs> I know you're very business savvy so we are detouring away from the challenge but when you think about your time in business because you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you've grown this legal firm from scratch. Yes, yes. And yes. you have a whole team that works for you and now you're going and opening up another section. I don't know, is it a whole new company? Same owners, separate company, yeah. Yeah, like that's massive, right? When you think through your experience of that, what are some life lessons you've taken away from that experience? It's quite interesting. Obviously, there has to be some. Before that, you know, I was 
young and, and having fun and not taking life very seriously at all. So obviously there's a huge change in the way that the responsibility and you know becoming a manager and all that kind of stuff changes. The overall looking back on it is it can be done. It's not a difficult thing to do. It is hard work and it takes hard work, but there's no challenges in all that we've done that were hard to overcome. Mm. It came down to just being able to persevere and do it. And if you take the law firm, there's so much red tape and regularly, but it's just basically putting pen to paper and writing down answers and doing it. And it takes days and weeks and months to get through that, which is hard work. But it was never an obstacle that we couldn't do. Mm. Um, and I think in any business, if you're moment enough to do it, it can be done. It's not impossible. It's not hard. It's not like trying to lift 100 kilos above your head. That's really, really hard and takes training and training, but it, it can be done. It, it's really just getting in and doing it. Don't think that it's really hard to do. It just takes hard work to do something that's relatively simple. I really resonate with that because I always talk about there's no problem you can't solve. You know, It's like I truly believe that in my heart. I might not know how yet. <laughs> I might not know who I need on my team to help me solve it, but it is a problem. And one way or the other, it's going to come to an end. And that's, you know, for me personally, that's a gift I've got from business because when anything gets thrown at me, I'm like, okay, this is just a problem. Like, let's make it tangible. Let's put it out there. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a big lesson around that, to repeat almost what you just said, you can have a big problem, but it really is made of lots of little things mm. that, that make the big problem. You break down those little things and they are much, much easier to deal with. And if you fix nine out of 10 of them, and you can't fix the last one, you've then only got one-tenth of the problem that you started with. Yeah. And I think that that approach to life, to problems, is quite essential to having the resilience to create a business or anything in life, really. And to be sustainable, I guess. When I think about burnout, one of the quickest ways to burn out is when it's a problem and a problem and a problem and a problem, and you see it only as a problem and an obstacle that you can't get past. I think for to be sustainable in business and have resilience, you need to be able to be like, okay, let's work on this. Yeah, 100%. And you can't win them all. What about with people though? Like what are you in your lessons? Because you've got quite a lot of staff. Yeah, we've got about 30 staff yeah. at the moment. Have you had any life lessons around people in business? I think it comes down to understanding that people are simply just people. A managing partner of a law firm is just a person. They you know, they grew up playing footy. They grew up drinking beer and, and having the same kind of life that we did. They've just moved into that role. Um, and I think as a younger person in your career, you feel intimidated by those people. Whereas as soon as you start to realize that people are just people, it makes all the relationships easier. It makes everything you do in life more relatable, more on a personal level. There's no intimidation. You can speak more freely. You can make decisions and all for the greater good, whereas you can really be hindered by being intimidated by people. Yeah, like I'm thinking when you say that, like if you're clouded, when you go in to have a conversation with your boss or someone that you in your head see as higher up, you're coming into that conversation with all of that attached. It's like you've got a whole suitcase of stuff that you're bringing into the conversation instead of just walking in and being like, this is another human with fears, frustrations, aspirations, you know, like they are just human at the end of the day and they have loved people. They've probably had broken hearts. They've probably felt grief. They've probably had their own adversity thrown at them. They're just in a position where they've mapped their way to that spot at that point in time in their life. Exactly. Yes. And I think using lawyers, a young trainee, having that intimidating feeling from managing partner, that managing partner was one day a young trainee, exactly in those shoes. He's done. He's taken the same route that you're taking. He was nervous as well. And yeah, it doesn't make him a mean person some of them may well be but it doesn't make them a mean person or you know they're going to beat you in any different way and then when we started branching out into working with other businesses etc so it wasn't just law firms everybody is just doing the same thing that we are trying to make a business successful and trying to work with other people and everybody is just exactly the same you know and you don't get on with everybody in life but it doesn't mean that they're any better than you or you're any better than them there's no really hierarchy in life or and there shouldn't necessarily be when you're doing business either I like to think that I do find it quite amusing and almost frustrating when the young guys at work come up and they almost apologize for talking to me. And I was like, dude, I'm just like you. I still think I'm 20, you know, out skating on the weekends and doing all that kind of stuff. But I, it's really hard for me to 
see myself through their eyes because I see, I still see, I'm more like them and they think come a long way from what they think I am. You're still the guy that I went to college with, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When we turned up to college. <laughs> yeah. Day one, O week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Your mindset doesn't change. I still feel like I'm a 20 year old in my head. Body tells me differently, but um, the 20 year olds at work see me as a 40-year-old where I'm seeing myself as a 20-year-old. And I think it's it's that gap that, that we need to understand doesn't really exist. It's all made up. Yes, yes. It's such valuable advice, definitely. And the thing that I always do, I have to remind myself this, I sometimes have to go, everyone starts somewhere. Like everyone started at zero to one. The time it took them to get from zero to one might be different, but everyone took that first step. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a good leader wants that young person to come in and take the same steps and you know succeed in life and they're not there to squash you or make your life hard or yell at you as long as that leader truly believes that then those young people should thrive on that they should should be really comfortable they should ask for what they want they should express how they're feeling they should in a proper way say if they don't agree with something and, and be able to have those discussions whereas if you put hierarchy in there then it's just fragmentation and it's not a very you know, sensible way to grow a business together. I'm thinking about the name for this podcast and we can't call it Life Lessons, but I feel like they're kind of some of the things we've discussed, right? Even right from the beginning, you know, for you having that attitude of like, it's going to be okay, you know, let's just work on what we do know and move forwards and have that positive attitude. That 90% is almost 100% attitude is amazing. And then talking around losing your dad and the impact that that had on you really shifted your mindset. You know, you talked about your money mindset shifting. You talked about that feeling of being invincible shifting and your ability to now take on more experiences more often, quicker with the family, things like that. And then when we finish, we're really talking about the the lessons in business, you know, and two really big lessons there. This is the stuff I wish we knew when we were teenagers and I still don't have the answer on how to install it in my kids, right? Like, do you ever think about I that? I do, I do. I try very hard. Do you ever just think if we could shortcut this? Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of having that. I still think I'm 20 because my young fellow's 13, very much a teenager, he's six foot two. But I try and tell myself, tell him what I would have wanted to know at that age. Um, and because I have that very young, immature mindset, I try and explain things to him in a simple enough way that, I think I might have listened to it that age. So you don't go into a lot of detail. You don't. Do you think he's listening? Because I'm going to get him to listen to this podcast and he can tell us all whether he listens to his dad or not. But do you think that he's going to be able to take on some of those lessons that you've learned through life? I do. He's a, um, both my children are very brilliant. They're, they're very wise for their age. We treat them as grown ups and they very much, most of the time, act beyond their years. And I think that's because of the approach we've taken to, mm. I don't know, it's difficult long way from a perfect parent or we all stumble through it like starting a business this is going to be easy it's not (laughs) and even when you think you got it down pat it changes right (laughs) oh yeah you you come to the teenage years and things like that (laughs) we thought toddler years were hard and then we hit teenagers and it's like please take me back to toddlers (laughs) yes yeah i think I, i measure that on the friendship i have with my children i try awfully hard not to have a father child relationship obviously times you need that but I think that's how I measure it. When we're sitting down, hanging out, like teenagers, like adults, that's how I measure the success of, of being a parent and how relaxed and then simple those times are. And then we had a beautiful, beautiful podcast with the blokes that run Red Frogs. And you might not be aware of that because they're in Australia and they go up to schoolies and they help out. And the second half of that episode, we talk a lot about what you just spoke about there. Like when the kids are younger, it's much more about us guiding them through life and, and giving them direction. And But as they come into teenage years, we're really trying to stand back more and let them experience life so that when they leave home, they're ready as adults to walk out in the world. So it's kind of like we've got to remind ourselves as parents to shift gears. And I don't know exactly when that happens. I noticed it happened for one of mine in a week. My <laughs> husband and I looked at each other one day and we're like, when did that happen? Yes. Like when did she go from us being like, this is how we do things and this is the right way and to now it's like, babe, you're on your own. We're here to catch you if you, you know, we're here. We're like, I always think about that bowling alley when you throw a bowling ball down and we're kind of where the gutters there to try and stop you falling over. But sometimes you're going to hop over the rail and fall down and that's okay too because your biggest lessons will be learnt then. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And then. Now we're sort of talking about parenting, which is not there, but yeah, everyone does it different. And I think it's being a guide is a good way to put it, especially as they mature. You go from being mm. you know, the parent with the stick saying, don't do that, it's dangerous, to mm. you better think about what you're about to do. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, if you touch that electric socket, it's going to sting you, and then you let them touch it now rather, rather than pull their hand away. I think that's the mind that, yeah. that changes. So. so we've covered adversity, we've covered business, we've covered parenting. Does everyone want to stay while we just keep chatting into – it's Friday night here for me. It's like first thing in the morning for Cole over there. Yeah, I'm fresh, ready to go. <laughs> He's got a whole day. What we do love to do is finish the podcast with asking what or who in your world truly makes you belly laugh. Like belly, belly laugh. Like anyone that was at Albies, we can hear you laughing at mid-C from top D. <laughs> oh, I haven't given this question any thought at all. Do you know what makes me laugh the most these days? It's either Australian comedy because I miss it and it's so raw and it just tears me apart that it's so rude and raw or shows like Human Resources or just those out there ridiculous. I mean, what's Human Resources? <laughs> it's a spin-off of Big Mouth. And if you haven't seen it, and if you're, haven't seen it if you're over 18, <laughs> you need to watch it's it. above 18. <laughs> that kind of stuff to me is is what makes me laugh. I don't have anything else that makes me laugh like those kind of things do. It's just. I want to go watch it now. <laughs> you need to. You absolutely. My wife comes to me and says, I have to turn this off. This is, it's gone too far. You have to turn it off. <laughs> As we conclude our episode of Challenges That Change Us, I want to express my gratitude for each of you joining us on this journey with my legendary friend, Cole. His candid and heartfelt exploration of his experiences, from confronting the brain tumour diagnosis to navigating the loss of his father, has been truly moving. Cole's ability to open up about his emotions is a testament to his bravery and authenticity. Through his words, we've gained valuable insights into the intricate interplay between life's challenges and personal growth. I hope you all have an amazing week and I will see you all next Monday. And just a quick shout out to those of you that get on at 5am religiously every Monday morning. Thank you so much because there's a couple of you that are able to alert me whenever we've made a mistake or something hasn't loaded. So just thank you so much. And if you guys do ever notice something that seems a bit odd or seems a bit off, DM me because there's a good chance that I've made a mistake somewhere or done something wrong. All right, guys, have an awesome week. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. 